Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. to the Cut to the Race podcast, the show where we bring you incredible interviews, race reviews and the latest news in F1. I'm your host, Ollie, and today with me, we have the full panel. James, you're in France. It's very hot. How are you? Yeah, very hot and in France, can confirm. Uh, it's, yeah, 39 degrees here currently, uh, but yeah. Not too bad overall. How, how are you? Uh, how is the weather in England? <laughs> yeah, the weather in England was uh, up and down throughout the weekend. I'm sunburnt, but it got wet and yeah, it's been, it's been a bit of a wild one. Um, Abby, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. I've finally caught up on all the weekend action after actually missing it live, but I'm excited to talk about it with you guys, especially hearing how Sam enjoyed his very busy weekend at Silverstone. And we have Sam. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I just very quickly want to circle back on how mid-30s you sound by describing a mixed weather weekend as a wild one. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that what it's come to? It was wild. I got sunburned and it rained. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks for picking up on that. But um, it was wild. Not that you're mid-30s. Not that you're mid-30s. No, I'm not, late, Sam. Late 30s, obviously. Uh, <laughs> For the second time on this show, I'm 31. <laughs> Cheers, Sam. Coming up on the show, we're going to discuss the British Grand Prix. Now, Sam was there in the paddock all weekend. In the F1 paddock, I may add. We also had... Uh, Jasmine, who's not on the show, but what she's one of our writers, she was in the F2 and F3 paddock, and I just went as a fan, uh, hence my voice is um, suffering today. But Sam, how was it 
at the British Grand Prix. Did you have fun? Who did you meet? Tell us, tell us how it was. It was very good, thank you. Uh, yeah, it was. Uh, as these things always are, they're, they're long hours, uh, busy. Uh, you're running up and down the paddock from one press juicy to another. Um, but yeah, uh, had, had had a good time. Learned a lot, um, and hopefully got some some good stuff for our our wrestling team. And yeah, that we can kind of you know, let filter through to the podcast. Awesome. Now there were a lot of stories to come out of the paddock, so if you haven't. Make sure you go to uh, formulaers.com and read all the stories we got straight out of there. But let's start with our weekend ratings for the British Grand Prix. James, I'm going to start with you. Again, there's there's that little caveat of like, well, we knew who was going to win. Probably not quite as clearly, maybe as uh, some past races. But overall, yeah, it was it was a fun weekend. Uh, it had a pretty you know feel good result. Uh, I'm going to give it seven. Okay, starting with a 7.5. Abby, I'll go to you next. I'm giving it an 8.5 because McLaren were looking very strong. You had some good battles on track. There was tension, tyre strategy, the weather coming into play, and I just really enjoyed it. Okay, 7.5, 8.5. Sam, what's next? I was going to go 7.5. For me, I thought it was a really good weekend. Uh, Weirdly... I always feel like the British Grand Prix is one that has excellent moments, if not always an excellent overall race. Yeah. I thought qualifying was pretty good, though. I'd be uh, remiss not to mention F2 and F3 doing some maybe slightly less heavy lifting than usual. It was still good. Still still good racing. But um, I did think this was a um, a memorable British Grand Prix Um as we mentioned, the McLarens uh, really returning to form. And yeah, first time all season, it looked like potentially the Rebels were at risk. And for that reason, exactly, I'm going to give it an eight. It feels like the gap is beginning to close and it wasn't quite as easy for Verstappen as it normally is. So yeah, I'm going to give it an eight. The atmosphere there was absolutely electric. I think you could even hear that through the TV broadcast. Um, And, you know, that's what racing is about. It's about the atmosphere. It's about, obviously, the on-track, what happens, and having fun whilst you're at it. So let's go into practice. Now, before I hand it over to Abby, the highlight of practice for me was unexpectedly seeing Sam on TV. Um, Now, for those of you who didn't see it, (laughs) um, Ted Kravitz was walking down the pit lane and he said, if you're wondering what the journalists do, here they are. And at that exact moment, the camera went on to Sam for a good 20 seconds. I mean, it wasn't just a flying shot, was it? You did a thumbs up at him and everything. It was absolutely hilarious, mate. Did you see him coming? Did you know he was coming? Well, we were just kind of minding our business. And this is where it, it really feels like we kind of, and I think Ted did clarify, I haven't actually watched the clip because, you know, if listening to your own voice is difficult, I think seeing yourself on TV is a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> and it made, it just made it look like we were doing nothing. Like we were standing around and he actually kind of mentioned to Chris Medland, who was stood next to me, oh, you know, Chris has got a biscuit and Chris was like, actually, it's cookie. But we 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 stood there drinking soft drinks and eating biscuits basically you know or other confectionery um and it made us look like we we're having a massive jolly when actually we we're just taking a break from a pirelli q a with mary isler and tom christensen the nine time Le Mans winner um so yeah um 
a bit awkward. Uh, didn't really know how to react. But it was actually Sam Cooper at Planet F1 who pointed out that they were coming over. And yes, I'm well aware that we have basically the same name. And I found it, it was just, I found it so funny because I was trying to spot you throughout the whole weekend, throughout the whole build up, the F1 show, all of that on the Thursday. I was like, I must see Sam just to, just to check he's actually there. And yeah, that certainly confirmed you were there. Um, but Abby, I will hand it over to you for the rest of uh, practice. Well, it wasn't actually that exciting in practice. Obviously, some key takeaways were that DeVries was looking to have trouble this weekend. He brought out yellow flags in FP1 and in FP2. Leclerc suffered an electrical issue in FP2. In FP3, rain did arrive, so there was some concerns over whether they need to put intermediates on the car, whether it'd be slick weather. But the main takeaway from practice as a whole is that Albon certainly looked to have the pace. So the top three in FP1 were Verstappen, Perez and Albon. For FP2, it was Verstappen, Sainz and Albon. And for FP3, it was Leclerc, Albon and Alonso. Yeah, it's looking for building up to be a great weekend for Albon. Um, but what happened in Quali? And this was a very eventful British Grand Prix qualifying, wasn't it? It certainly was. So for Q1, you had both Ferraris, both Hash drivers and Sargent initially come out on Inters, but then they soon changed for Slicks. Hamilton unusually had a spin just before the end of his first flying lap into the gravel at Stowe, but he managed to carry on. Track limits became an issue, but not quite as bad as they were in Austria. De Vries had an unsafe release into Piastri, but for Q1, it came. the action came when Kevin Magnussen bought out the red flags because he stopped his Haas on track just by the pit lane entrance. Whilst there was a red flag, someone took their front wing off in the pit lane. Um, James, have you seen this? I I really thought it was funny. And it would only happen under a red flag, wouldn't it? It wouldn't happen under racing conditions. Yeah. Yeah. That's just the way it seems to go for Max at the moment. You know, and we've seen that for Lewis at the in the past, you know, where he makes a mistake and somehow it it works out okay, like the red flag in, in Imola in 21, famously. Um, yeah, it was it was clumsy. Uh, I enjoyed the sort sarcastic ironic cheers from the uh the british faithful yeah and now i wasn't there on on the saturday but i was told that the cheer was as if lewis hamilton had won the world championship when this happened sam could you hear it from where you were what was what was your reaction to to max and his pit lane saga see you can you can hear a, a good cheer um yeah you can see it from the uh you can see the pit lane from the uh, media center so yeah there was a yeah a bit of commotion but actually my favorite bit was in the uh in the press conference afterwards where he described it as a as an incident uh obviously <laughs> invoking the uh charles leclerc um thing from a few years ago but he took it he took it in in in, in good spirit and good humor uh these things happen and uh yeah it's you know proves that he's not completely indestructible and infallible Absolutely. Now, we had a shock exit. Abby, do you want to go through? I say shock exit. I'm not sure if we can say that now, but Abby, (laughs) do you want to go through who was eliminated in Q1? Yes. So after the red flag, all the drivers came out on the soft tyres. And at that point, Perez went fastest. However, so did everybody else. And it was Magnussen, De Vries, Joe, Sonoda and Perez out of Q1. But Bottas ended up bringing out the yellow flags because he ended up stopping on track at the end of the session. His time did mean he got into Q2, but he didn't come out in the session. So 
Perez has yet again failed to get into Q3 for the fifth time running. James, what do you think? Talk to me. It's just, it's amazing, isn't it? Because they've all been kind of different situations and people are saying he, you know, he's, oh, he's so rubbish. He's like, yeah, he's, (laughs) it's amazing to not be getting into Q3. And like we said last week, I think Bottas never failed in his Mercedes career to make it to Q3. They've all been different. You know, last week it was track limits. This week it was just, well, to be fair, I mean, people said he went out first, but Albon crossed the line almost immediately after him and went half a second quicker. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just one thing after another, and it's never the same thing. It's not an outright lack of pace. You could maybe say that this time, but overall, it's just it's yeah. I mean, the chances. Uh, it's an interesting one. I think the the difference there between. Sergio's lap and Alex's lap is that Sergio was sat at the end of the pit line for a very long time. And I'm not sure if that was the team's call or his call. If it was his call, he's certainly starting to overthink things. And Christian Horner actually was saying on Saturday night, on Sunday night rather, that with Sergio, he just needs to get out of that, get out of that kind of rut with qualifying. He's still performing well on Sundays. It's just a, a mental game. And Christian said, you know, it's 90% in your head. He just needs to get get a clean session in. He'll be absolutely fine. They're looking after him. They're kind of, you know, trying to work with him through it. And interestingly, if the impression I got from Christian was very, he was very supportive of, of Sergio. And it didn't feel like the usual management of a Red Bull driver. Um, and I think that's partly because he is still performing on, on Sundays. But yeah, I think it's uh, he needs to sort it out because it is starting to affect um, the team's results. But he's currently he's still second in the championship, increased his lead over Alonso. So it's kind of no harm, no foul at this stage. Yeah, I mean, it, it is interesting because Christian was saying this at the end of last weekend. He was saying it on Thursday, Friday, at the, you know, it, 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 Perez just needs to get through it. But I personally, I felt like they just put him out at the wrong time. It, it was it was very clear to me what was going to happen. But then, James, you made the point about Albon, which makes me think, why couldn't Perez do the same? Yeah, and, and interestingly enough, I actually asked Christian how Sergio likes to best be managed and keep his motivation, his confidence up. And he was like, it's, I think he's really a kind of arm around the shoulder kind of guy, which again is is strange because it's five weekends in a row now. Is that approach working for him now? Sergio's coming out and saying, like, I'm, you know, I'm tough mentally, I'm mentally strong. But then he hasn't been able to end that right. And I think the key is really there that it's a variety of different scenarios, as you said, James. I don't think all of them are down to Sergio. I think there have been a couple of team mistakes in that run. And Red Bull uh, internally, most likely going, yeah, that, that one was on us. So that's maybe why that pressure isn't quite as uh, amplified as it is for, say, a Nick DeVries. Okay, so that's Perez. So moving into Q2, Abby, there weren't there wasn't as much to talk about in terms of who was eliminated. It was sort of usual people, would you say? Yeah, exactly. So Bottas, as we said, he set time to get into Q2 but didn't run any further. And then it was Sergeant Ocon, Stroll and Hulkenberg out of the session. Stroll in his team's home Grand Prix. Problem, not problem, James. Well, the Aston didn't really have the pace overall this weekend. I mean, we see, as I'm sure everybody will tell us in a few seconds' time, uh, Fernando wasn't actually much further up the grid. There have been 
bigger discrepancies between those two uh, at different points this season. Okay, and Abby Q3. Well, like James said, Alonso, he wasn't looking to be quite on form as he has been earlier this season. It was Verstappen on pole, but it was quite close because you had Norris and Piastri, both the McLarens, in second and third, showing that the upgrades brought to that car clearly work. Then you had Leclerc, Sainz, Russell, Hamilton, Albon, Alonso and Gasly. Now, Sam, what on earth did McLaren bring to Silverstone this weekend? Because it's absolutely incredible for a circuit like this to come and put it P2, P3 with legitimate pace. And also, what does that mean for Oscar Piastri? Well, to answer it directly, they brought upgrades. Uh, no, as, as you as you can see, and it's probably been well commented along, the side profile of the car, the, the aerodynamic philosophy is very similar to that of Red Bulls. Uh, it's been pointed out by Lewis and Toto. It's been pointed out to Christian Horner, and he says it's obviously a compliment uh, that other teams were borrowing their philosophy. Um, so that's, yeah, ultimately, the, the field is starting to converge on that approach. And you can see that in the results in the in the closing of the gap from Red Bull to the the trailing pack. What it means for that fight in you know for the for P two is that you've on any given weekend now we can potentially expect one of four teams to be in that hunt without being maybe slightly behind. Esteban Ocon has said that they are they have got upgrades coming though, so it's. It's going to be one of those seasons where it's going to be a revolving door almost, depending on tra- track characteristics and yeah, who's hot, who's not. As for Oscar Piastri, he's had a strong season. He's shown flashes of this, and this was his coming out party, let's face it. He nailed it on a weekend when Lando also was very, very strong. So it's brilliant to see that he is there or thereabouts. And I think it's, again particularly noticeable given how big that delta was when Daniel Ricciardo was in the McLaren. Yeah, definitely. On Oscar, I mean, he's just had a quietly solid season up to this point and now he's really started to stretch his legs. And I'm sure it did him the world of good after not really through his own fault, particularly uh, a bit of a, yeah, less than ideal weekend in Austria. Um, Going back to the, the, the upgrades and the fact that McLaren didn't expect it. I genuinely don't think they expected to be anywhere near the pace they had it. It's such a different track to Austria. And that bodes very well for yeah, what Sam has said about yeah, the the rest of those those following four teams all getting in the mix for best of the rest. I think none of the teams though, apart from Red Bull, really understand these cars still. 18 months into this set of regulations. It feels like they're like, I mean, Toto expected this to be Mercedes' best shot. And then he was like, yeah, it doesn't seem to be that way. Maybe we'll do well somewhere else. But like, it's like no one really knows as they come to a weekend how they're going to fare. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right because I've seen today that, you know, Toto has said, right, we need to we need to move on to the next car concept, right? They thought they were bringing upgrades. They haven't really. I mean, they, they qualified sixth and seventh. Sam? Well, Toto actually uh, said as well that the time to move on to the next season's car, you know, completely change their focus is, you know, coming soon, basically. I don't think they can kind of, I don't think any of those teams in the trailing pack, although they're engulfed in this battle for P2, can 
let Red Bull get a jump on 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 next year's development. Uh, I, I think what's what's really surprising is that a I think they I think teams know what doesn't work, but I don't think any of them know what does. It seems like so Ferrari, for example, they know why they're struggling, but they don't know how to fix it. And and the second point. Total Wolf was kind of very disappointed and miffed on Saturday, but Sunday obviously was a much stronger day for them. Lewis was able to work through the pack. It was the opposite for Ferrari. So from day to day across a weekend, you're seeing strengths, and that's not hugely surprising given that obviously Saturday is a you know about one lap pace, Sunday isn't. But how how that order is kind of yeah going up and down throughout a Grand Prix weekend makes it very very difficult to predict exactly what will happen in a race. Yeah, and I think we do just need to look at the qualifying time. So if we put Max Verstappen to one side, uh, Lando in second down to Lewis Hamilton in seventh, it was 0.2 of a second difference, right? That is extremely close over a three-point, what is it, 3.6-mile trek? That is also partly to track characteristics, though. So much of Silverstone is full throttle. And even then, there's very few big braking events throughout the lap, which... I guess reduces the amount or the the number of opportunities to make a difference over the lap. So you you are going to see the field slightly kind of uh, converge naturally at a, a race of this characteristic. But yeah, I, it does highlight how that kind of one point five group um, or F one one point five group is very very close. And I, again, that's how we have that revolving door. Absolutely. Well, before we go into the race review, it is that time to do the National Anthem Review. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so it is that time of the week where we do the world-famous National Anthem Review. God save our gracious King Long live our noble King God save the King Send him victory the British Grand Prix National Anthem which makes this one always a little bit extra special because it is our home Grand Prix. Now I'm not going to lie to you I was just got out of the toilet in time to catch this. Um, it was like milliseconds and I could hear I could hear them saying it on the radio and I only just made it but. So this is our first for you at least and Sam live review. 
have an actual answer. Yeah, I think Sam was right? Sam's done a few, but he wasn't able to hear them. If yeah, who said I could hear this one? <laughs> well, I just asked you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I watched it on Twitter afterwards because oh, okay. <laughs> couldn't couldn't hear a thing from the, the media center glass is clearly very, very thick. Um because I could see Damien Lewis, but I couldn't really hear Damien Lewis. Um but yeah, anyway. Um I was there last year to be fair. But it was the Queen, not the King. So does that make any difference? Not really to me. All right. Well let, let let's go around the table. So um Abby, what what did you think? What would you rate it? I liked the saxophone and I liked the British drivers out front. Very diplomatic. I'm giving, <laughs> I'm giving it a three out of ten. I'm For what reason? Relieved. Sorry, you need to sort of quantify that, Abby. That's a very low rating. Damien Lewis is a great actor. And that's the medium he should uh, Every time. To. Oh, Abby, you're so nice. Like, it's always this... like the insult starts with a compliment. Now, you're a very good actor, but... <laughs> it's like a... It's, excuse my language. It's, uh, I think they, they call it a shit sandwich in feedback. Yes. yes. You start yeah. with... Something nice, with some... then the criticism, yeah. then something nice. Yeah. Mm. Abby's like a, a born teacher. It just... For the British Grand Prix, it... Yeah, No. I actually feel like I preferred last year's one. <laughs> the delivery of that was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, for the rest of the year, no. <laughs> oh, God. All right, so Abby's kicked it off. Bless her. With, with more compliments than negatives, but giving it a very bad score. Um, James, what would you give it, uh, being our resident musician? Yeah, so I, I got a a bit tricked by my own eyes in the build-up because my brain read that and went Damien Rice because, you know, he's an actual musician. And so when it cut to it, because I did manage to tune in just in time, uh, it was, yeah, uh, I was like, oh, oh, wait, Damien Lewis, oh, the guy from Homeland, right. And then he proceeded to, yeah, continue to not be a musician. I, I mean, I like the guy, but I kept waiting for it to cut to like, a hidden camera, like to cut to Anton Deck being like, yeah, now I'll do it a bit like Elvis. Like it just felt like a prank. I was going to say it did seem like he was trying to be Elvis. It was weird. Uh, and oh yeah, actual number, I'll give it a two. I can't believe that you've just referred to Damien Lewis as the guy from Homeland and not the guy from Band of Brothers. I that is Homeland just very recently. It's just blown my mind. Although, so, in fairness, it's what's worse is someone referred to him as the actor from Billions. James, where you just said about the, the, the Elvis part, right? The Daily Mail went with the headline, is that the worst ever Elvis impersonation? Actor <laughs> Damien Lewis is mocked on social media for his toe curling rendition of the national anthem at the British Grand Prix. Wow. <laughs> um, Sam, tell me what I couldn't believe what I was saying. No, no, no. Sam, uh, what did you think? What was your rating? Well, first of all, I just want to say that uh, the reason I was relieved at Abby's rating is that I was a little bit concerned that she was going to rate it better than the Austrian national anthem. Was it the Austrian national anthem where you were really harsh? (laughs) Even though we all loved it. Yeah, Yeah, I gave it a 4.5 last week. Yeah. For, for being too loud and uh, and, the, and the, the guy being too casual. Well, what really, really threw me is that there was a huge brass band behind Amy Lewis. 
that then just seemingly just didn't get used. Yeah, or were very, very quiet in the mix. I don't know what it was like live. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I, I couldn't really hear it because it was again just him with the saxophone. It was a bit. Yeah, the inflection thing was not for me, uh, as I've um, touched upon in the past. Um, and yeah, great actor, not so good a deliverer of the national anthem. But then also, I don't get particularly, you know, kind of. I don't, the British national anthem is no special, no more special to me than it is than any other national anthem. Um, but yeah, I kind of I do wish it was Damien Rice instead. And the lyrics, even if it would have been rubbish compared to the Azerbaijani one, as we know. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It was <laughs> just yeah. references. There, yeah, there was no uh, there was no fun outfits. There was just you know it kind of it. <laughs> It, it wasn't it for me. Uh, it left a lot to be decided, which is strange because his um, his set that he did in the paddock was actually pretty decent. So, yeah, a bit mystified. And he was kind of talking up a bit on, on broadcast and then delivered that. So I feel bad because I, I love him as an actor, um, but I just can't give it uh, my full support. So I'm going to give it my quarter support and give it a 2.5. Okay, right. I think last year as well, I'm going to get Abby to check this because she is the the person who checks our ratings. Um, I think last year it was the lowest rated as well. Um, I'm going to give it a one out of 10. And I'm going to give it a one out of 10 um, for the reaction across Silverstone. It was, it really didn't go down very well in the crowd. Um, I'm not sure why the Brits seem to forget to take their hats off for their own national anthem as well. That was a, a shocking one. But yeah, it, it it was so hyped up as well, Sam. I don't know if you got the press releases at the same time I did. I think you did. Um, just bigging this up and, yeah, you know, uh, talk about it and all this. And uh, yeah, I thought it was going to be a lot better than it was. So. Not to take shots at um, the um, company that issued the press release, but spelling Damien Lewis's name incorrectly in the title wasn't a good start. Uh, to the point that when I that when I tweeted it, I also then spelled Damien Lewis's name wrong because obviously you get a press release and you go, "Oh, Damien Lewis with an E." It's two A's, which it admittedly is strange, but I wasn't too impressed from a press release. But never mind, we move on. So that is the end of the the world famous national anthem review. So let's review the British Grand Prix. Now, there's a lot to talk about, but we're going to break it down into some bite-sized points. Um, And I think the biggest thing we need to talk about is what happened at the start. Now, our resident McLaren lover, Abby, I think it's going to fall to you to, to, to talk about how you felt when Lando Norris overtook Max Verstappen. I was sat in the lounge with my parents. We had the race on and the way we all screamed and cheered when Lando got into the lead into turn one was, yeah, it was amazing because I knew it wouldn't last, but it was nice to see him lead at least a couple of laps of his home race and to see Max actually have to battle with somebody else because even when Lando was in the lead, Piastri was in third and he looked like he was getting quite close to Max at some points. I think he said after like going into cops, he was replaying what happened between Lewis and Max, obviously when Max was sent into the gravel and it was just great to see some battling and the McLaren coming into form because Red Bull have the car and they have Max but at the moment, they don't really have Perez up there helping. But McLaren, 
now look to have a very good car and two drivers that can work it to its maximum. So I was very, very happy. So Abby, you talk about the the cheer in your front room. I can I can tell you that out of all the years I've been to Silverstone, that is the biggest cheer. I did miss the the uh, and through goes Hamilton moment, so I wasn't there for that. But all the years I've been there, that was the biggest cheer I've heard. So Sam uh, Lando getting into uh, into the lead, did you expect it? I, I thought before the race started that. McLaren might play it safe, not get not get not get into a fight, just bring home the P2 and P3, or at least try and achieve that. Did did you see this move coming from Lando? I kind of did because it felt like a now or never moment for them. They, I think, they knew that we, you know, we're not going to be able to win the race most likely unless something extraordinary happens. But we could have our moment in the sun. So. And, and also, in recent times, the person who started P2, that side of the grid, has been more favourable. But it, interestingly, it wasn't... I mean, Lando had a better start than Max, but Oscar's start was sensational. He was noticeably quicker off the line than the two guys ahead. And to the point that, actually, he then went round to Lando's side. And the reason why he didn't get past Max is ultimately because he got boxed in by Lando. So it was kind of, you know, one of those, one of those situations where um, they could have both been leading... Uh, the the rebel by the end of the first lap, and interestingly, they managed to keep the lead much longer than I was expecting. It was a good what four five laps before Verstappen yeah, made his laps. way past, yeah. which I you know you kind of expect him as soon as the DRS opens, he's gone. And it, but it wasn't the case, and that is testament to how strong that McLaren is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Max hasn't been getting great starts. I think it's something Red Bull have got to work out. One of the few things they've got to work out. But yeah, it's not the first time um, he's either been beaten off the line or been close run to the first corner. Uh, yeah, and I think on a, a wider, well, not a wider track necessarily, a different layout without the the corner immediately, the the little jink of turn one. Yeah, I think Oscar could have found himself in the lead because yeah, like you say, just. He got too good a start in comparison to to Lando and and to Max. I think, yeah. And now I was very excited as well. My my experience was very different because I was in a French service station uh, watching on my laptop, <laughs> surrounded by people who didn't care. So I didn't shout and scream like I'm sure the rest of you all did, but I did enjoy it. So one team where it didn't go quite as well for them, and I think it's, again, their own making, are Ferrari. So there was a very strange strategy going on at Ferrari. Even though the tyres weren't wearing, they decided to pit anyway. Um, Sam, what did you think of Ferrari this weekend? Do you think it was, you know, they've had blunders at Silverstone before. They've had, I mean, they've had blunders everywhere before, but I, I think they could have done a lot better if they'd got their strategy right, because there was some pace in the car. Yeah, there was. And there were points in the race where they were looking quick. You know, Carlos, when he was first on the hards, looked strong. He was ultimately kind of done over by the safety car, A, coming in just before, and B, everyone else then having the opportunity to put on softer compounds of rubber. Um, but the the, re- the decision to pit the clerk when they did, seemingly going for a locking themselves into a two-stopper at that stage uh, was odd. And I think the strangest thing, and again, Christian, I'm not going to allude to this, and you would have thought that Ferrari maybe would have picked up on it, but George Russell starting on used softs 
So his softs were two or three laps older than the mediums around them from the start of the race. Um, changed the game strategy-wise. This is conventionally a medium-hard, hard-medium circuit. And obviously with the new compounds that introduced this weekend, we were expecting that it wouldn't quite be as kind of touch and go you know, with with a one-stop or two-stop. So that changed the game, obviously, as we know, having a heat cycle through tyres hardens them. So those softs were able to go, what, 28 laps for Russell? Ferrari seemingly didn't pick up on this. And that's kind of the, the start of where their issues began. And had they adapted in the same way that Red Bull did, obviously you can see they put Verstappen long uh, on his mediums, they would have had a better result. Uh, so, yeah, they kind of got stuck uh, with Charles who'd already pissed and was already down the order. And then Char- and then Carlos, who came in just before the uh, the pit stop on then at that point, I'm just going to have to try and hold on to, to hard tyres because if I take softs, I'm going to back out to P10 and I'm racing cars that are as quick as I am anyway. So, um, yeah, it was a, a lose-lose situation for them. Now, Crofty said that their Ferrari were dithering, and that was something before the race they said they weren't going to do. They said, you've got to get the strategy right here. Um, Abby, do you think they were dithering? And also, I recall a team radio message asking the drivers again what they wanted to do with the strategy. And it, it just seems to just keep going. Wasn't it at Silverstone last year that they did exactly the same thing? Sorry, that was such a Ferrari moment. The uh, uh, Plan B. I don't remember what plan B was. Yeah, I'll come back to you. Like, he clearly didn't know either. That, that was amazing. Yeah, and that was one of them. And there was another one where they had asked, what, what is it you want to do even later on? So it happened twice. What's your thoughts, Abby? I just, I feel like if the team wasn't called Ferrari, Leclerc and Science would not be in that car. Because it doesn't seem like a car worthy of the Ferrari title. They are two excellent drivers... But it's, I don't want to say it's a mess, but it kind of is because the team don't seem to have everything in place that they need to do. Their strategy lets them down nearly every race weekend. And they had a good qualifying result, fourth and fifth. They had promised this weekend, but by the end of it, they were in the bottom two points places. And I think Sainz, towards the end, he lost like three positions in one lap with Perez going past and then Albon went past and then Leclerc went past. And it is such a shame to see because I genuinely thought Ferrari were going to do really well this year, get P2 in the championship, battle with Max, but that is not happening and it's very disappointing. And what's concerning there as well is that I feel like we've spoken about this in the past where you can excuse a lack of outright performance if operationally they are consistent and strong and learning and, and the improvement is there and you go, you know what, they've sorted what was their issue last year and now they just need to get the car back up to where it was and you're good to go. But they haven't. The car's fallen away, and even changing the structure at the top of the team, it hasn't done anything. The issues are looking like they're more and more deep-rooted uh, within the team. And, it, yeah, you, Abby, you're, you're right. It, it does the drivers a disservice when they're constantly being asked what strategy they, they want to do 
as opposed to using the data to say, look, we we advise this, we feel this is correct. What's your take? How, you know, how how do the tires feel? Because there is also that you know the data might tell you one thing, but if the driver's saying, "No, I'm perfectly happy. This is working for me." Then you have to trust your driver as well. But the there's too much reliance on them to make the decision. I think at one point one of the one of the guys kind of said back, "Like I don't know. Like y- you tell me, basically." So yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. That, that that that's that's the that's the root of the issue. And then when you've got an unstable car, someone like Silverstone, where it's windy you know, and used to be an airfield, that's a condition where the Ferrari struggles. You're just going to go backwards, and that's exactly what we saw. So let's talk about Mercedes, who had a pretty average qualifying, but well, maybe even, well below average for them. Um, Lucky Lewis got the safety card, didn't he? So that was um, K-Mag setting on fire, which initially... So this was, and I want your thoughts on this, this was a virtual safety car when I think it was obvious to everyone on the planet that this needed to be a full safety car. And some drivers came in under the virtual safety car and some came in under the full safety car. Do, what's your opinions? Why did they put out a virtual safety car when a car's on fire and they know that it's probably going to take a little bit longer. James? I'm assuming that they were hoping that it could be immediately wheeled through the gap uh, in in the barriers. And at that point, it's not worthy of it. I think it was stuck. Uh, it was, well, it wouldn't go into gear to roll. Uh, the neutral button wouldn't engage. Whatever the reason was, it, it seemed to be stuck where it was because obviously then they had to get the actual cherry picker out. And as that's all that I can see that would have been, yeah, why they were hoping they would work with the BSE. But with a car on fire, Sam, surely it takes a bit longer, no? It, it can do, but again, if you can get the car out quickly and then roll it away, I, I get why, you know, a lap or two of a VSC is still preferable because you're not bunching the pack up, you're not taking away advantages that people have developed over the race. It Also, it looked like they hadn't necessarily accounted for the oil that was on the track as well. I think that further delayed things and essentially mm. needs to be cleared up as well. I don't think it's worth criticising them over because... I think we'd rather get stuff sorted with a quick VSC if possible. And it doesn't make a huge difference having a a one lap VSC and then a safety car because it doesn't actually really affect even who's coming into the pits. You're still, they're going around at roughly the same pace at that point. Uh, Most people will be in within a lap. It didn't make a huge difference. And yeah, I mean, yeah, Lewis was lucky on this occasion. I will say apparently, I believe he was called in on the previous lap and he said, no, I want to extend a little bit further. So he created his own like a little bit there. Um, it it was interesting hearing George on the radio sounding openly annoyed that Lewis was ahead of him through a, a lucky uh, safety car. And, you know, I think we, we've mentioned before that George has been on the receiving end of the, or the other side of that coin numerous times in the last year and a half. Yeah, obviously, I guess you don't don't think like that in the heat of the moment in the cockpit. Um, but it's no. But I thought it was interesting, like when it's your teammate and he's like, ugh, like as opposed to I don't know, a bit more. <laughs> I know in the heat of the moment, but yeah, I mean, home Grand Prix, though, yeah, you you, you want to do well, but I think the 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 interesting thing there as well is that that is a great example of Mercedes trusting their driver. Lewis going, no, 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 I want to extend. I want to kind of, yeah. And I mean, Lewis has so much experience, right? So yeah, you, you you feel comfortable letting him do that. Yeah, with the, and James, James is completely right. That it all comes out in the wash at the end of the day. Sometimes you're going to be 
you know the beneficiary sometimes you're not and that is exactly what happened there um and interestingly actually uh, those guys who are at the front they missed the opportunity to come in when the vsc was first called so they had to go around again so they actually did benefit after initially losing out so again kind of you know there was there was benefits for everyone or a lot of people who hadn't yet pitted but just more pronounced benefits for the guys at the top now this meant obviously lewis put um soft song which seemed like the very logical decision and lando put on the hards now th- this one's interesting because Lando was, and I say he was critical of this decision, and he said maybe Zach was trying to challenge me, and he was doing it in a jokey way, yet he still didn't seem to understand the reason why they put hards on. Now, as I understand it now, obviously looking back, they had a fresh set of hards, so it was a logical option. McLaren knew how they would work, but it did seem like a very brave decision at the time, and Lewis was extremely dangerous uh, on those closing stages with those softs on. And we saw a fantastic battle, which Lando managed to hold out. But Abby, we saw intercops some opportunities for Lewis Hamilton. And Lewis Hamilton of two years ago would have taken these opportunities. He backed out each time at Cops Corner. Do you think he has learnt that maybe that is not an overtaking opportunity, regardless of what tyres you're on? Yes. But also, I think... He knows that like it's not worth the risk at that moment. He's in a podium position. Lando's in a podium position. It's their home race. They know that they're not going to win. Whereas in 2021, he was battling Max hard all season for the championship. It was the championship at stake. Whereas here, it was just a few points. And I got very scared at that point because... I thought, oh my God, they're both going to take each other out and then like destroy their races. Thankfully, they didn't. But it was a great battle. And it's nice to see drivers like think about their manoeuvres and not just go full throttle, right, I'm going to go in and try and do it even though it won't work out how they want. But yeah, I think it was it was good, but scary for viewers and probably scary for them i'm pretty sure if they had the heart rate monitors on that some of the f2 drivers did you'd see their heart rate in like the 200s at that point well abby is clearly after toto wolf's job because i actually (laughs) asked toto wolf uh if what happened a couple of years ago had any bearing on lewis backing out of those moves into cops if you know if it had been spoken about anything like that and toto said i think when you're racing for a victory you can commit to a corner there's a lot of state state back in the day, obviously the championship. I think if you're racing for P2 or P3, you know, it's it's less so, isn't it? So um yeah, that's again, I think the root of the issue there is that why throw away a podium finish for three extra points against when you're not in the championship fight? It, 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 the 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 risk reward doesn't work in the same yeah. way as it does uh, and and that is clearly the differentiating factor there um on the norris strategy call yeah i think it was uh, a new set i also think mclaren may be trying to consolidate play it safe don't risk it what if they put on soft and other people hadn't or they all fell away and those on mediums started to come through yeah there's there's lots of play there would rather a, a car that would definitely get to the end on that set than one that's going to be racy because again unlikely to be able to challenge Verstappen ahead but you can defend more consistently 
on a harder tire than you can on a soft that might fall away what again they did miss like ferrari was that george was able to use use softs to very good effect early in the grand prix um but yeah I, I, honestly i was surprised that lewis wasn't able to make his way through i think Toto wolf was again pretty surprised that lewis couldn't get past uh given that they thought that if anything they could have maybe challenged the win is it's what he felt again i don't know that's just him saying that <laughs> One interesting on-track battle was uh, Stroll and Gasly. Stroll went off the track, came back on in front and gained an advantage. Now, Stroll got a five-second penalty for this, but he also ended Gasly's race, didn't he? Do you guys think this penalty was right? Do you think he got off lightly? And what do you think about the whole scenario of that battle? Because it was an interesting one. James? So... Martin in the commentary said he thought, yeah, Lancer got off lightly with a five second for ending someone else's race. It's that thing again where like, do they take into account what's happened, uh, the cause and effect or just the, the isolated incident? I think officially they're not supposed to. It seems like they do. Uh, quite often, if it's taken someone out the race, it will be harsher. I don't know. It's a tricky one. Like Pierre ran him off the track twice around the outside I feel like it was a little bit six or one half a dozen to be honest uh, and yeah Lance probably could have rejoined in a safer manner uh, and lost maybe a, an extra place or two but overall I think Pierre kind of yeah had his part to play in it as well yeah, so I mean, I mean that is that is an interesting point, and I guess that's why they just the the penalty was gaining an advantage off the circuit. There was no sort of cause and effect, like you said, Abby. Do you have any different take, or, or would you agree with that? No, I agree. I think for me, the most unfortunate thing is that, like for Alpine, obviously it was a double DNF because Ocon retired earlier in the race, and they have looked to pick up performance and pace in recent races. But then obviously Gasly had damage, he fell to the back, came into the pits and retired. And for Stroll, yes, Silverstone wasn't Aston Martin's best result this season. They weren't looking to be quite as strong as they have. But it just shows the difference between Stroll and Alonso because Alonso was still up there, whereas Stroll had fallen back and he was getting into battles, getting penalties at the team's home race, which isn't something you want. But yeah, I agree with what you guys have said on the incidents. Okay, so it was a fantastic British Grand Prix, as we know. Max Verstappen won with the fastest lap as well. Lando Norris finished in second with Hamilton in third, a double British podium. Oscar Piastri finished in fourth, George Russell in fifth. Sergio Perez made it up to sixth, which was quite a good comeback in the end. Fernando Alonso finished in seventh, ahead of Alexander Albon in eighth, Charles Leclerc ninth, and Carlos Sainz rounding up the top ten in tenth. So let's move on to our drivers of the day. I think we've all probably got quite a clear one. Um, so I am going to make Abby go last today, which is just going to make the whole thing more entertaining. Uh, James, I'm going to let you go first. All right, get out of the way then. Lando, move on. Yeah, move on. <laughs> I'm going to go for Oscar Piastri, my driver of the day. Sam? Oh, see, I'm torn because I want to kind of stitch Abby up a bit. But also, I personally Thanks. think, I also think there were four drivers who you could 
could give driver of the day to. Um, I think Lewis was in the shout, but I don't know if you were thinking that it was Max that you could give driver of the day to. Um, because obviously he won and it's Max and, you know, he's still Such very, very politics. strong. Just pick Such a, politics. Just pick the driver, man. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Sam, um, who do you think was the driver of the day? I think realistically it was Lewis. I think he was fortunate enough, but I think he he kept it clean. I think he was clever in his fights. Um, And yeah, after losing a couple of positions at the start, he worked his way through the field. And yeah, obviously, as we've discussed, benefited from the safety car. But he could have gone for broke in his fight with Lando and he thought better of it. So yeah, for me, it's Lewis. Okay, I can see Abby desperately checking her notes and reading through and scrolling things. So um, for those new podcast listeners, we don't pick the same driver so that it's not boring. Um, Abby, who was your driver of the day? Well, seeing as my first three options have been taken, (laughs) I'm going to go with Albon. Because I was going to say, no one's mentioned him. Yeah, I was thinking that. Fair. He, yeah, yeah. he performed well all weekend. He qualified in the top 10, finished the race in the top 10. He managed to do some overtakes. He kept Leclerc behind on the final lap. So he had a pretty good weekend. So Albon. Okay, so before we round up the show, um, I do just want to take a minute to um, acknowledge the marshals and the security and all the police and also the army that were at the British Grand Prix. Um, they were deployed to help keep protesters off the track and by all means necessary, they did so. Um, there were a huge amount of undercover officers around. I, I kept seeing them. There were um, there were members of the army at, stationed at every marshal's post as well and we didn't have what we were expecting, so I just want to shout out to all the organisers, security, and everyone at the British Grand Prix. Abby, would you like to do the drivers and constructors standings? Yes. So, for constructors, we are 11 rounds into the season, and after Silverstone, McLaren are the sixth constructor to finish on the podium, which has changed the order slightly. So, obviously, Red Bull are still in the lead on 411 points. Mercedes are second, Aston Martin are in third, and Ferrari are in fourth. But now McLaren have overtaken Alpine and are in fifth, with Alpine in sixth, Williams in seventh, Haas in eighth, Alfa Romeo in ninth, and Alfa Tauri in tenth. And as for the drivers, obviously Verstappen is still leading. And I believe if he finishes every race for the rest of the season in P2, he can secure the championship. It is his teammate in second. Alonso is still in third. Hamilton is fourth, with quite a big gap to Sainz in fifth. Russell in sixth. Leclerc is in seventh. Stroll is in eighth. Lando Norris is in ninth. And Esteban Ocon is in tenth. So next up, it is the Hungarian Grand Prix. We do have a weekend off, though, so there is no race coming up this weekend. After that, it is The week after that, it's Belgium, and then it is the summer break. So two races remaining. Max Verstappen is dominating. Uh, Sam, do you think there's anyone that's going to come close in those two remaining races? And I don't know why I ask you, because I know the answer. No. I'm going to say I'm interested to see what Aston can do around Hungary. They'll be stronger there, for sure. It's just whether this has all been a lack of updates that has made them drop back. It's probably a bit of that. Or if it is more track dependent, because it should 
yeah, and we've seen Hungary do weird things in the past. So um, I'm being optimistic and I'm saying maybe it'll be a bit more like Monaco and they'll give them a run for their money. Yeah, I think there are a couple of teams that will make a relative step forward because of track characteristics. I think Alpine will likewise look m- more racy. Um, and to be fair, they didn't look awful. They just had a really you know, kind of difficult weekend qualifying for Esteban. Not really his fault. Yeah, he got stopped by Charles, and then in the race, obviously. So yeah, I think it's made things look worse for them. But yeah, Aston are expecting to be stronger um, there because it's twisty and fiddly, and it works with their car. And even the bestest teams in the world can be. There's only so long that you can go until there a mistake comes in, a failure comes in, Sam. If they win in Hungary, mm-hmm. that is the record number of race wins in a row. Yeah. And you know what's ironic that I thought when Lando passed Max into T1, and I was like, if imagine if he stopped them in a McLaren from matching McLaren's record if he had won. How fitting would that have been? But yeah, no, 12 in a row would be... And it's like 20 of the last 21, if it weren't for George in Brazil. Um, the one silver lining to this is, uh, for some reason, my site, mostly F1, uh, seems to come up as the top Google result for most consecutive wins. And yesterday, my site crashed from the amount of people <laughs> who were searching it. So Max has made me a few pennies, at least. I just Googled it, and it was your site that came up. So yeah, there you thank go. you for that, James. That's another, that's well another half a penny. Well SEO'd. I haven't clicked on it. I've just looked at the Google result. <laughs> I'll click on it. Oh, man. Um, okay, well, until next time, we'll be back with news from the nerds. And I'd like to thank my panel. Abby, thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me, as always. Um, thank you for being with us, James. I'm always uh, thrilled to be blessed by your presence. <laughs> That's, well, I'm I'm honoured that you're blessed. Uh, it's a pleasure as always. Thank you. Good stuff. And Sam, it is finally time for you to put your feet up after a very, very busy British Grand Prix weekend um, where I'm, I'm sure you're knackered, so um, you are dismissed. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, like four or five hours of sleep a night just because you're so wired just the whole time. The adrenaline, you're just running on just whatever um it's great but it's yeah it it takes out of you um i was asleep just before the podcast started so i'll go back to being asleep uh now okay well enjoy your sleep sam we'll be back next time goodbye you're listening to the cut to the race podcast it's lights out and away we go Podcast Network.